Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the Betters Boxes at ATS.io's MLB Betting Podcast for Monday, March 22nd. I'm your host, Adam Burke. Typically on Mondays, we hear from Kyle Hunter of huntersportspicks.com, but it came to me on Friday while watching college basketball that the second round of the NCAA tournament wouldn't be over until Monday. So with that in mind, we pushed Kyle's segment back to Tuesday. Uh, we'll try and get something later in the week from Brian Blessing. If we don't get to it, kind of is what it is here with this week. But with the late change, the late switch, I'm going to go ahead and do a five and fly for the National League Central here on this Monday edition of the show. And as I said, we'll have Kyle on on Tuesday to talk about the Sweet 16, project some Elite Eight matchups, all of that. So we'll do a comprehensive breakdown of the NCAA tournament on Tuesday, which means today, figure I'll go ahead and go solo here and do another edition of the Betters Box. Make sure you check out my 2021 MLB betting guide over at ATS.io. That's been up for a little under a month now, but a lot of great information in that guide, still very time relevant. If you haven't had the chance to check that out, I know I've had some people reach out to me via email, skatingtripods at gmail.com to get a copy of the PDF to get on the list here for the betters box notes. If you want to do that, again, skatingtripods at gmail.com. You can read the guide over at ats.io. That's an individual article web page form, but you can also get the PDF from my Twitter page at skatingtripods to read through that baseball betting guide. I did the Roto Wager podcast with Brian Seymour. That went up today. So you can check that out on my Twitter timeline or on his. I believe I'm scheduled to do the deep dive with Whale and Andy here coming up on Wednesday. I'm going to do the chicken dinner podcast next week, probably as well. So lots of places that you can hear me talking about betting on baseball, the process and all of that. But you can also get that MLB betting guide anytime over at ATS.io. And I'll be busy this week over at the website. I'll do a Sweet 16 primer, taking a look at all of the games in the Sweet 16 round. Maybe projecting out the Elite Eight a little bit as well. I've got some thoughts for you here with my situational betting articles for the NBA and the NHL, which I realized I did not put up last night. So I will do that here uh, this morning, right after I finish recording the show. UFC and golf stuff for you this week as well. So lots going on over at the website. And it's not just me over there. Got a lot of writers doing a lot of fantastic things over at ATS.io, covering NBA, college basketball, NHL, soccer, you name it, we got it over there at the website. Make sure you download the ATS app as well, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. Full article integration with that. It's a bet tracker. It's an odd screen, stats database, lots of things going on in that ATS app. Make sure you download that today. All right, so as usual, I take a look around spring training, kind of looking for some news and some things of that sort. Talked about a lot of things on Friday's edition of the betters box, so not a whole lot that I need to touch on here with regards to spring training on today's show. One thing I did notice is that Drew Pomerantz for the Padres has not pitched in about two weeks. And in a vacuum, individual pitcher injuries, not that big of a deal obviously if it's a big name guy it's a really big deal if he's going to be out for an extended period of time or something like that Pomerantz one of the key arms in that Padres bullpen but this is where you want to start filing some of those things away because Pomerantz on his own yeah the Padres have a lot of guys that can kind of fill in 
But when you start getting cluster injuries, that's what you really want to pay attention to. So for right now, the rest of the Padres bullpen is pretty much okay. Uh, Denilson Lamont is not going to start on the opening day roster with the Padres as he's dealing with, uh, I believe it's an elbow issue. So there are a couple of key injuries for the Padres here. They're going to cause some shifting. They are a very deep team. So maybe it won't impact them as much as it could impact somebody else. But again, you want to keep these things in mind as these injuries start to build up a little bit. Because now for a guy like Pomerantz, while he's a reliever and it doesn't take him long to get ready, you know, he's got to get up to speed. So he may be pitching in low leverage situations in the month of April, stuff like that. So just file those injuries away, keep them in mind. They are something on a game-by-game standpoint that could wind up being pretty relevant. And speaking of that, spend the next two weeks closely studying bullpens because starting pitchers are only going to throw 75, 80, 85 pitches, stuff like that before they really get ramped up for the season. And especially coming off of that 2020 year where the league leaders in innings were in the low 70s. You know, that's half of a workload you would typically see for the back of the rotation guys, let alone the guys at the front of the rotation. So teams are going to be very careful with this especially early on in the year. So long and middle relief will be a big deal early on in the season. You think about some of these pitchers that are not economical, not efficient with their pitch counts. Well, that's something that could be very problematic in the month of April where those guys might reach their pitch limits, you know, three innings, three and a third, three and two thirds, something like that. All of a sudden the bullpen pitching the majority of the game. So study the bullpens here over the next week and a half, two weeks, so that you're prepared to you know, bet full games if you want. Maybe you just want to bet first fives with these starters on pitch counts, something like that. But bullpen depth will be very, very important, particularly early on in the season here. And also something else, too, to keep in mind is that because there are a lot of off days incorporated into the schedule due to the bad weather that we typically get in the early part of the season here, Some teams won't need a fifth starter. Some teams may run a six-man rotation anyway, but some teams won't need a fifth starter. So that guy will go out to the bullpen. He will make the team, but he'll likely go out to the bullpen because, you know, the uh, AAA season pushed back about a month and a week. I think May 9th, I believe, is the starting date for the AAA season. So maybe those guys stay sharp at the alternate training site. But more often than not, those back-of-the-rotation starters will slot into the bullpen as multi-inning options. So keep that in mind here for early on in the season. And lastly, whether you're doing fantasy or you're just getting ready for the betting part of the season, teams are starting to make their roster decisions here. They're adding players to the 40-man roster. They're waving guys. They're DFAing guys, kind of moving guys up and down, telling them that they're not going to make the team, trying to find new landing spots for some of the veterans that were in camp, stuff like that. Usually these guys aren't really big names, but you know, just kind of uh, follow it, you know, sort of a cursory glance every day at the news, stuff like that, just so that you know what's going on here with these teams. So as I said, on Tuesday, we'll talk with Kyle Hunter doing the betters box here today on Monday. We'll do another one on Friday, taking a look at the National League West division that will finish up our five and fly previews for each division. Then of course the season begins that following Thursday, but today, a five and fly for the National League Central. Five minutes talking about each of the five teams in the division. And we go ahead and start here with the Chicago Cubs. And the Cubs season win total 
in that 78 and a half, 79 range. And, you know, I did a spot with Joe Ostrowski from 670 to score, which is in the Chicago market. And when we were talking about the Cubs, I was trying to figure out when the last time their season win total could have possibly been this low. And I think 2014, probably about the time that their season win total would have been this clearly below 500. There are a lot of questions for the Cubs this season. And I don't think that their win total or any of their futures yield any sort of significant value. Because when you look at this Chicago Cubs team for this year, they have five very big names as impending free agents. Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, Zach Davies, and then Craig Kimbrell. And Kimbrell, of course, being the uh, you know least important, I would say, of those five free agent guys. And, and maybe Kimbrell figures it out this year. Maybe the walk rate goes down. Maybe he helps out this Cubs bullpen. But Davies, a trade acquisition in that U Darvish deal, And then, of course, the main three of the position players there in Bryant, Rizzo, and Baez. And, you know, this doesn't necessarily matter, I guess, from a betting context too much, but a lot of people wondering, will they sign any of these guys? Well, we know they're not going to sign Chris Bryant because Chris Bryant will not stay here. After the service time manipulation that they pulled with him, then his grievance winds up getting denied. Bryant should have been a free agent last year. Instead, Bryant will now go into his free agency with the CBA negotiations looming. So we'll see how much money that winds up costing him, if any. But it doesn't seem like they're showing any sort of uh, you know, indication that they want to sign Rizzo or Baez to a long-term deal. So with that in mind, you've got both sides of the coin here where studies have shown, and this was a study from, I think, 2013 that I cited in the betting guide, that in a contract year for a free agent, you will typically see an average increase of 5 to 7% in OPS plus in a contract year. And OPS plus is sort of the more basic form of weighted runs created plus, where the plus means relative to league average, where league average is 100. You usually see players overachieve in those contract years. Now, the question, of course, though, is, Even if those guys perform well, and it is a possibility, and those guys have performed well in the past, but this Cubs offense has been league average basically four years in a row, anywhere from what they did last year to the 102-103 WRC plus that they had back in, I think, 2018. So this is a pretty league average offense that could get a bump if those three impending free agents do go out there and perform better in their contract years. But the problem here, the other side of the coin with that is the Cubs are clearly showing a reluctance to spending money right now. So if they're not going to sign these guys, then they are all trade commodities. You know, you will find teams that will look at a Chris Bryant. You will find teams that will look at an Anthony Rizzo. You will find teams that will look at a Javier Baez and will want those guys for their playoff pushes and their stretch runs. So this Cubs team could look significantly different in August and September than it looks right now. So that would be concerning for me. Also, you look at what they had on the offensive side last year. I think Ian Happ's gains were legit. I don't think Jason Hayward's were. were. I think Jason Hayward is in line for a lot of negative regression here this season. You know, what does Wilson Contreras do this year? He should be an above average bat, but you know, were the defensive gains actually legit? I don't know. Then there's the pitching side here. With you, Darvish, gone, 
Jose Quintana is gone. John Lester is gone. Not a big fan of John Lester at all. But when you consider they replaced Darvish, Quintana, and Lester with Zach Davies, Trevor Williams, and Jake Arrieta, I don't think this pitching staff has a very high ceiling. I love Kyle Hendricks. He's better than all the projection systems say. But for Zach Davies, does the strikeout increase stick around? If the answer is no, then he's a league average pitcher. If the answer is yes, then he's probably a little bit better than league average. But Hendricks and Davies are probably the only two guys in this rotation that will be above league average. The bullpen is not great, not great at all. There's just not much of a ceiling, I don't think, for this Cubs team. Now, with that being said, a win total of 78 and a half is pretty low. I don't see a lot of betting value on a prop or a future standpoint, anything like that for the Chicago Cubs this season. So I'll be watching them closely. I'll be looking for spots to kind of play on or against them. But overall, I just don't have strong convictions one way or the other for the Chicago Cubs this season. Next up here is the Cincinnati Reds and their season win total in the 82 and a half to 83 and a half range. The big question for the Reds year in and year out is, are they ever going to hit? You know, they've got a very favorable ballpark there at Great American Ballpark, but they have not had an above average offense by WRC plus since 2010. And I like the personnel. I like the guys that they have here, but they just, for whatever reason, don't produce. They were 27th last year in hard hit percentage, which is percentage of batted balls with a 95 plus mile per hour exit velocity. Only four teams, or they were 26th, I think. Only four teams worse than them. 23rd in WRC plus. And that's largely because they saw a massive spike in walk rate. They were sixth in fly ball percentage last year but didn't really hit a whole lot of home runs. They even had the lowest pop-up rate in baseball. But the problem here for the Reds is that they strike out a lot and they walk a lot. And what happens is when you're batting in deep counts all the time, you know, one, two, 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 three, two, all that kind of thing. When you're batting in these deep counts, you don't make a high degree of contact quality. And I've seen this a lot with the Indians over the years where they do try to walk, they do try to work counts, all of that. But it really hurts your contact quality when you're not aggressive, when you're not swinging early in the count because you have to hit what the pitcher is throwing. You you have to protect with two strikes, protect the zone, all of that. So you wind up making weak contact on a two-strike breaking ball or you wind up having to swing at a borderline fastball so you don't get rung up. And what happens is, You don't hit the barrel of the bat. You wind up hitting things off the end of the bat, off the trademark, all these kinds of things. You can't center on the baseball as easily when you're batting in a lot of these deep counts. And last year for the Reds, their swing percentage was just 43.8%. That was down from 48.1% in 2019. So they swung a lot less last year. And they did wind up walking a lot more. But even with those free base runners from bases on balls, they had the fewest number of plate appearances with a runner in scoring position in all of baseball last season. So yeah, they got their guaranteed base runners with the walks, but they never really did anything with them, you know, because they didn't rack up a lot of hits. They didn't make high velocity contact. So I'm curious to see what happens this season. I'm curious to see, if the Reds get a little more aggressive, 
because when you've got a high strikeout rate and a high walk rate, there's some give and take there. And walking is, is always going to be a positive, always going to be beneficial. But at the same time, you really hurt your contact quality. And if the Reds don't increase their contact quality, they will continue to hit for a low average and they will continue to hit for a low slugging percentage. So I'm going to watch this team very closely early on in the year and see if the game is still coming to them or if they are taking it to the opposing pitchers. Because as I've talked about here recently, and as I talked about in the guide with things that I'm going to do differently here for this year, I grew up in the Moneyball generation. I grew up in that generation where teams were walking a lot more, where teams weren't you know, willing to be as BABIP dependent, where teams wanted those free base runners. They were going to take them and then try to hit for power. And the Reds are trying to do that. The problem is they don't hit for power because their contact quality is too low. Drawing walks is great. But what I would like to see is set your innings up. You know, with the bases empty, go ahead and be patient. Go ahead and try and draw those walks and get those guys on base. But when you get those guys on base, get aggressive. Swing away. Hit that first fastball. Try to drive that first fastball somewhere I hope the Reds do this. I don't know if they're going to, but it is something that I will be watching very closely here as the start of the season comes around. And on the pitching side, look, I mean, the loss of Trevor Bauer is certainly a big deal. There's no question about that. Losing the reigning Cy Young Award winner is a big deal. And Sonny Gray has been slowed down in camp. He's, you know, missed some starts, stuff like that. But what the Reds are doing is they're putting a large emphasis on K percentage and increasing velocity and spin rates. And I'm all on board with this. I think this is a very smart strategy, especially in the ballpark that they're in. So that's the thing you look at for the Reds here. What do they do to maximize the skill sets of the guys that are there, like a Tyler Mayo, like a Weed Miley? What are they going to do to increase the effectiveness of those guys? Because I think Sonny Gray will be good, and I think Luis Castillo will be excellent and is a Cy Young candidate. But I worry about the depth here. And so I want to see what the Reds are doing to maximize the skill sets of their guys early on in the season here. So I don't really have a season win total play on them or any futures pieces of them, but they are a team that I will be watching very closely as the season begins here. Next up is the Milwaukee Brewers. Their season win total also in that 82 and a half, 83 range. And that's the thing about this central division as a whole is that the top four teams, at least in my estimation, are pretty interchangeable. And when you get a high-variance environment like that, where I think any one of the four could win this division, I think the Cubs would be fourth on that list, uh, probably the Reds third, Brewers second, and maybe the Cardinals first, although I will talk about the Cardinals and some of the things I'm concerned about in a few minutes here. But all of these teams are pretty interchangeable to me. The thing that concerns me about Milwaukee is that they are very top-heavy. You've got Christian Yelich, you've got Keston Hira, You've got Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns. You've got Devin Williams and Josh Hader. If any one of those six guys misses an extended period of time, I'm very worried about the Brewers because this is a top-heavy team. I called them a stars and scrubs unit to a degree, and maybe that's a little bit unfair, but they are very top-heavy. A lot of their production will come from a small number of guys on their roster. I will say there are some ads that are nice. You know, Lorenzo Cain is back after opting out of last season, the COVID year. Colton Wong, I think he's a nice two-way ad where he can be 
a league average offensive piece, but a well above average defensive player. And that's really important because moving Keston here at a first where he was a bad second baseman last year, getting Colton Wong, the right side of their infield should be a lot better. And overall, I think this should be a better defensive team for this season. And what the Brewers have done is that they've really increased their ground ball percentage on the pitching side. They are trying to keep everything on the ground to counteract this current launch angle generation. Even the strikeout guys like Woodruff and Burns still have pretty high ground ball rates. They're kind of more sinker oriented than four seam oriented. Uh, You kind of get some two seamers mixed in there and all of that. So this is a team that wants to induce a lot of ground balls. They brought back Brett Anderson as a late free agent signing right before camp started to sort of further this thought process that they have. So this is a good thing, I think. I, I do think that, you know, a guy like Adrian Hauser, for example, if they increase his strikeout rate, that's awesome. But he's a very extreme ground ball guy. So by improving the infield defense, that's a guy that should have a better opportunity to have some success here for this season. So the thing about the Brewers is they have to convert those batted balls into outs. They have to get outs with those ground balls because offensively, this team leaves a lot to be desired. You've got Christian Yelich, who I do think bounces back, and Keston here is a much better offensive player than he showed last year. Low Kane and Wong, maybe guys that'll be around league average, something like that. But when you look at this team here, and I talked about this last week, they're starting to hit more fly balls. And I don't know if this is just a spring training thing or if this is a shift in the organizational philosophy, but Milwaukee hits too many ground balls for my liking. And the funny thing about it is you're trying to construct this ground ball pitching staff, right? Because you know the importance of ground balls on the pitching and defensive sides of the coin. So if you know that on the pitching side, why would you hit so many ground balls on offense? You know, if, if you understand the intrinsic value of keeping the ball on the ground as a pitcher, then why would you allow your offense to hit a lot of ground balls? So maybe the light has come on here for the Brewers, maybe a shift in personnel, something like that would help. But it does seem like, based on the batted ball data that's out there for spring training, that the Brewers are actively trying to hit more fly balls. And if that ends up being the case, that will increase the ceiling in my mind for this team. Because if you're hitting fly balls and keeping the other team from hitting fly balls, that's a really good thing for you. So if the Brewers are able to make this change, are able to increase their launch angle as a team on the offensive side, that really jacks up their ceiling. And I think that they're in the process of doing that. So Brewers, I kind of like their season win total a little bit, but a better play for me is Brewers to win the World Series. And I've found this as high as 55 to 1. And before you shut this off, shaking your head, it's not because I think the Brewers can win the World Series. It's because if they win this division, and I think there's a good chance that they can, then I can hedge that out for a nice profit right away. Because when they get to the division series, They will be a sizable dog to Atlanta or the Dodgers or the Padres, whoever they wind up playing. They're probably not advancing from that series. But if I get them to the playoffs at 55 to one, and that series price on the Dodgers or the Braves or whatever is minus 180, minus 200, something like that, it's a very easy hedge for me to guarantee some profit. 
So that's what I'm looking at with the Brewers here, where I think their ceiling is the highest of any team in this division. So I'll take a shot at that World Series price, get them into the division series, and then see what happens going forward with that. Next up here is the Pittsburgh Pirates. Their season win total 58 and a half, the lowest in baseball. I will say this. I'm kind of intrigued with their starting rotation a little bit. I've seen some very positive things about Jonathan Brubaker or JT Brubaker, however you want to look him up out there at Baseball Reference or Fangraphs. Steven Brault is a guy that has really reinvented himself as a pitcher, higher changeup usage, doing better staying off the barrel. He's a guy that's wound up being actually an above average starter, I think, in a lot of ways. And then there's Mitch Keller, who will go through some growing pains, but he's got some upside. This rotation looks like it could be kind of decent here. So for me, I start looking at that, and I think about their bullpen, and they've got some guys that do get some swing and miss and all that, some guys with some high spin rates in the bullpen. And I start thinking of this team as being a good under bet on a game-by-game basis because this lineup looks awful. I mean, it looks bad. Beyond Cabrian Hayes and Colin Moran, this lineup looks really terrible. So I don't think this is a team that scores a lot of runs, but they too are another one of these teams here racking up ground ball guys, you know, because everyone is trying to pitch away from the launch angle, pitch away from the barrel, all of that. So the Pirates are a team here trying to rack up ground ball guys. And I don't think it's a bad strategy, really. You know, as long as you can convert that into outs, and you know that's the big thing, is you have to have a defensive infield that allows you to you know thrive in that type of batted ball environment. And the Pirates, they seem okay defensively. I mean, they're they're not going to be great by any means, but you know I don't think it's going to hurt them that much. Maybe PNC Park goes back to playing the way that it kind of always has. Maybe we see that happening here for this season. The one intriguing thing about the Pirates here is that they were 16 and 24 in their 40 games against the NL Central last year. They were 3 and 17 in interleague play when they took on the American League Central. So they were competent to a degree against division foes, and they were terrible in interleague play. So I don't know necessarily what that means here for their 76 head to head games against the other teams in this division. But I do think it speaks to the fact that almost every team in this division has a pretty low ceiling and a relatively high floor. And that's how bad teams are able to compete is if you don't have a team that has a ceiling, that's how the Pirates go 16 and 24 in their 40 games. And again, that's not any good by any means, but simply to say that, you know, they were competitive enough against their division rivals. But when I look at this team, you know, again, like I said, I don't see offensive upside. I see some pitchers that are kind of intriguing, guys that can maybe stay off the barrel. And I do think specifically here, in terms of looking at the Pirates for unders, I would look for division unders with them because none of the teams in this division have good offenses. I mean, the Cardinals last year had a 93 WRC plus, 7% below league average, and that was the best offense in this division. So none of these teams have good offenses. So I think the Pirates in division play where their pitching staff could play up a little bit will be a decent under bet in some of those division games. And in particular here, probably in April where you're playing in some colder weather cities and all of that. 
Finally here, we finish up with the St. Louis Cardinals, who are the default favorite in this division. Their win total in that 86, 86 and a half range. Two things here. The first is you get Arenado, a a big name player. And even if Arenado's offensive numbers do not translate to Bush Stadium, and they probably won't because we all know about Coors Field and all the hitting advantages there. Even if Arenado does not hit, he's a great defensive third baseman. And when you look at the St. Louis Cardinals here, one of the big things that they do year in and year out is they field well. They are a very good defensive team. They have always put a premium on that. It's a big reason why. They haven't had a losing season since 2007. They've had 14 playoff appearances since 2000. Teams are starting to focus more on the defensive side because we've got all these batted ball analytics and all that kind of thing, better advanced scouting reports, stuff like that. The Cardinals have always done it. And so for the Cardinals, it has always been a separator for them where they've had some really good pitching staffs. They've had some guys that, you know, are potential Hall of Famers like an Adam Wainwright, but they've never been, you know, elite across the board on the pitching side. They've been very good and have been able to build on the strengths of their pitchers by having really good defensive teams. And we even saw that last year when they were ninth in ERA but 19th in FIP because they had a high left on base percentage because they were a good defensive team. And you can hide a lot of shortcomings with a pitching staff by being a good defensive team. And now they get Nolan Arenado, who's one of the best defensive third basemen in in all of baseball and probably in the history of major league baseball. So that helps because this is not a pitching staff to me that has a ton of strikeout upside. A lot of balls in play for this pitching staff. The bullpen has some guys with some high walk rates, but you can work around that type of thing if you've got good fielders. And to me, the Cardinals do in fact have a lot of good fielders. So that helps. You know, if you've got a high strikeout percentage team, then you can hide some of your other ills on the pitching side. If you don't, then you have to be a good defensive team. And the Cardinals do have that. And when you look at them from last year, their gap between ERA and FIP was the second biggest in baseball. Only the Dodgers, who are also a great defensive team, had a bigger gap in ERA minus FIP. And typically, when you've got a big gap in ERA minus FIP or ERA minus XFIP, something like that, you look for negative regression out of that team the upcoming season. But for the Cardinals, because they defend so well, they're able to stave off some of that expected regression. And we'll see if they're able to do it again here this year. And again, I do think they will be a top five defensive team this year when all is said and done. So they probably will be a team that has a lower ERA and a higher FIP and a higher XFIP simply because of the rate of which they convert batted balls into outs. So that it does increase their ceiling to a degree. And when you look at their bullpen, for example, from last year, an ERA of four, but a bullpen FIP of 463, the defense bailed out the bullpen a lot. This was a bullpen with a lot of guys with high walk rates, usually not the kind of profile that I want to bet on. But again, they I, I talk a lot about degrees of regression in my handicapping, whether it's you know talking about a team as a whole, an individual pitcher, something like that. I talk about degrees of regression where, yeah, regression is expected. The degree to which it will happen varies based on a variety of different factors. 
So in the past, I would have looked at the Cardinals and said, okay, ninth in ERA, 19th and FIP, this pitching staff's going to regress. Their ERA is going to go up. And maybe it does, but maybe not to the degree that it should because they're so good on the defensive side. So the defense is a big attribute for this team, and they need it because offensively, this is not that good of an offense. And they've got some big-name guys now like like Aaron Otto, like Paul Goldschmidt, uh, you know some of the other guys that are out there for this Cardinals team. They're big-name guys, but this is a Cardinals team that the last few seasons has not hit for a lot of power. They don't make extreme contact quality. They're not, you know, of the fly ball uh, generation. You know, they're not one of those teams that's trying to increase the launch angle and all of that. They're just not a great offensive ball club. I I think at best, they're a league average offense. And to me, I think this pitching staff is league average, but gets a little bit of a bump from that defense. I do think that the Cardinals are a team that could fall short of expectations this season. I do think that maybe people will drive this win total up a little bit prior to the season, but it is one where I would look towards the under with the Cardinals here, because I just don't think that this team's ceiling is that much higher than the other four contenders here in this central division. So could be wrong on that. And certainly the Cardinals deserve the benefit of the doubt for not having a losing season since 2007. But I think that they've been installed as such a favorite here in this division by default, by reputation, by whatever else, I don't know if they live up to those expectations. So the Cardinals are a team that I am not super high on here for this 2021 season. So as I said on Tuesday, we'll do handicapping the hardwood with Kyle Hunter. We'll talk about the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight. Maybe we'll talk about what's happening in the CBI and the NIT a little bit. We'll have a lot of good thoughts for you coming up on college basketball for that Tuesday show. Wednesday, Kiev O'Neill will join me. Thursday, Brad Powers. Friday, Betters Box taking a look at the National League West. Uh, we'll get Brian Blessing back on the show next week uh, in advance here uh, of the Valero Texas Open. But this week, the Dell match play. He'll have a video for us over at eight on our ATS YouTube page. So you check that out. But, uh, you know, just having to move the Tuesday sh- or the Monday show to Tuesday here, uh, you know, we'll probably just wind up skipping Brian Blessing for this week. But I'll be on Sportsbook Radio here on Tuesday with him. So if you want to hear me talk with him, you'll just have to listen to that on XM204. But, uh, you know, looking forward to a good slate of shows here this week and a lot of good content coming your way over at ATS.io. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Uh, Remember that you'll never strike out when you're in the betters box. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.